Hi, and welcome to the Bits and Trees podcast. I'm your host, Matt Machuga, and today I am joined by Caleb Porzio. Hi, Caleb. Hey. How are you doing? Good. How are you? I am doing fantastic. Thank you for asking. Mm-hmm. All right. So uh, before we get into the the overall goal of today's episode, why don't you tell us a little bit about yourself? Yeah, uh, I'm Caleb Porzio. I am a Laravel developer. I work for Titan, uh, an agency, Laravel, View, React agency. Um, yeah, I'm a web developer. I've been doing that a long time. And uh, I shouldn't say, I mean, long long is relative compared to you. Not a long time, <laughs> a short time. Um and uh yeah i don't know i guess i i like to do outdoors things when i'm not computing um and i live in buffalo and help run a little meetup in buffalo and that's that's me you also uh run a podcast with someone else on your team don't you i do yeah yeah uh, my buddy daniel we run a podcast called 20 percent time yeah it's pretty sweet it's a it's a laravel podcast um and it's super, it's super geeky. It's totally, it's not the kind of podcast that anybody like outside of this niche would really have an interest in, I think. Um, maybe a little bit, but, but okay, you're, you're good. Yeah. I don't want to yeah, not I, sell you know, I think you have, I think you have a lot of topics on there that are a lot of fun. Yeah. Like that, I, I really enjoy the insight and the, the back and forth that you and Daniel have. That's probably true. Maybe what I'm trying to say is what I love about it is it's, like very specific and we talk like we literally like talk about like lines of code inside laravel and talk them out like line by line to each other and do things that things that you would do with your friends while you're talking code you know like you would speak out like each character and somebody walking by would be like what what are they doing or like oh they're they're like they're geek techie people you know and uh but to you you're you're just you know um so we wanted it to be that like just two people talking about code the way developers talk about code yep pretty informal my dad listens to it and uh he he listens (laughs) your dad i know yeah right he is um yeah he he listens to every episode which i think is insane because he he can't he doesn't understand most of it but that's that's some good fatherly support right there i know that really is yep it's a good guy so I appreciate the fact that you guys will go in depth in those discussions because I find like a lot of podcasts do not actually cover that sort of thing well. Um, the Bike Shed is one exception to that. I think they do a mm. really good job of um, going in depth. They'll like go through either concepts or lines of code similar to yeah. you guys, um, but they have a different rapport mm-hmm. with each other. And um, I don't know. I enjoy the back and forth with nice. you and Daniel where you'll you'll challenge each other's idea and then there's like the few pauses and then the, <laughs> the inside joke will come out. Yeah, it's great. It's uh, so we don't really we don't plan much beforehand, almost at all. And we purposely when we're ta- like in conversation with each other, if, if a conversation starts to get good, we, we stop and we wait for the podcast. We're like, OK, stop, because we we want everything to be fresh. So everything we talk about is something that we're actually talking about in real time. So there's and you run up with some bumps with that because sometimes on the podcast live, I have to understand something that he's saying or vice versa and wrap my head around. I'll be like, slow down. Okay. Walk me through it. But I think it's good because the listeners in the same shoes, like they need to understand it too. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, so like Daniel, he's, he's, uh, he, whatever I say, he'll challenge it. Like that's, that's the dynamic is like, if I have an idea, he'll start by telling me why it's wrong. And, and then eventually it's like, it's very philosophical. Like, like a dialectic you're like trying to debunk the other person's thing and eventually you you get to something um yeah so it's it's super fun and for me like i i try to just uh 
every week, like you're, you're solving interesting problems every day. And, and I try to just like pick one or two and keep them in my head. Things that, things that I want another person's idea about or something that I'm not happy about. So I'm actually coming to the podcast with a question. Like I want to walk away from that recording with an answer or having thought through something better than I did before. And that's usually the case. So it's at least useful for me. So pretty much that exact, the exact thing you just said is why I invited you on the podcast today. Um, so I've known you for a few years now. And the one thing I've always appreciated about um, the way you think is that you will analyze mm. everything from both like the, the logical, rational perspective and then like the emotional, <laughs> how does this make me feel yeah. perspective. So I, I wanted to like get a little bit of insight from, um, from your perspective, how your, how your brain works as you're processing mm. all these things. Because a lot of the the topics you bring up on the podcast or a lot of things you mentioned to me are, they're high level, um, but in the sense that I wouldn't, I wouldn't think of it mm. at that level. Like it, it's above the code abstraction. It's more about like, is this solving my problem uh, from a product perspective? Is it solving my perspective or is it solving my problem on how I feel about this code? Is yeah. this a good practice going forward? Is everything I just learned nonsense? Like you, you right. kind of like analyze it in a heavy way. Um, mm -hmm. Can you tell me a little bit how you go about analyzing something, and you know how you determine it feels good to you? Yeah, yeah. Um, oh, there's so many places to take that. I yeah, I know. I'm a very uh, emotional coder. <laughs> like I'm, I think everyone is, but I I try to embrace it um, as a good thing and maybe redeem some of those terms um, when when people think that I'm a programmer. Like if I talk to just people in normal life and say that I'm a programmer or coder or whatever, I'm picturing what they what they're picturing and I'm like, "Oh, that's boring." Like, oh, "I don't want to do that." Or I'm I talk to people who are in like networking and something. I'm sure the same thing is true in networking, but because I don't really know networking, I picture just this like super boring technical stuff that's not fun or beautiful or anything like that. But like if but when I picture what I do, it's fun and beautiful and I have lots, there's lots of emotions surrounding it, you know, like just our, our uh, adoration for certain like, uh, you like, um, code editor themes is telling of this, like, you know, like to me, I'm, I'm an artist with a paintbrush and I'm staring at these colors and these shapes of the code and the things that they say succinctly, like literate, you know, so anyway, so I'm, I'll start with that, that, that like I, I consider myself sort of an emotional coder and sometimes my justification for things is just because it feels good or it looks good. Um, and, th and that's why I came to Laravel and why a lot of people come to Laravel because it was, it was like you go to the docs and the first thing is a web framework for, or a framework for web artisans or something like that. And I saw that and I was like, Oh, that's me. Or that's what I want to be, you know? And I saw the design and it was like minimal and artisan inspire when you hit that and you get like an inspirational, like stoic quote. Um, that's a thing. Yeah. Yeah. It's been a thing forever. <laughs> you can type artisan inspire and you get a random uh, quote. Yeah. Nice. Comes from the mouth of the Otwell. Um, well, not from his, <laughs> he's yeah. Um, right. So I guess the, maybe the answer to the question. So, so, so the question of like, how do I go about uh like if I like an idea or if I if I like an approach to something or something like that, mm -hmm. um, I I think I I attribute a lot of it to Adam Wathen actually, which is mm -hmm. which is something. But uh, he's he's a prominent Laravel figure, and I remember when I when he before he was I mean he was kind of famous, but before he was really famous, just like watching his little uh, video blogs things like videos mm -hmm. on his blog, 
And the way he, like, there was this pattern where he would look at something that I look at. Like, I, he's looking at something and I go, oh, yeah, I, I do that too. But he would, he wouldn't stop at being not okay with something that's a little off. He would kind of, he'd stare it in the face. Like, he, he would identify, this thing feels a little off first. Then he figures out exactly why it feels off, which is step two that most people don't do. And I don't think I really did before. And then after that, he attacks it head on. Like when he identifies what's off about it, he destroys it. So I heard him, his, the language he used, uh, I've thought about this a lot, actually, like his sort of approach and everything, but the language he uses when he's describing something he uses high level language for a low level thing so he'll talk about um maybe like maybe i I can't think of specific example let's say like he's talking about uh maybe some syntax in php like something simple like a string like maybe a string function and he'll Mm -hmm. use a word like oh i feel like that it i feel like it's kind of like a decorator you know he's using he's throwing around these like really big concepts and sometimes it's not even technical concepts he's like this just feels a little disconnected to me or feels i I can't really do it justice, but but he talks about things that you normally don't even th- give yourself permission to talk about the way you talk about big architectural things. And he would talk about lines or little small details. And I took that and I I don't know that I feel like that was a key for me that just unlocked something where I went, okay, I can do this too. Because every time he says this feels weird to me, I go, yeah, that feels weird to me too. So then every time that I see something that feels weird to me, I'll stop. And I'll say, why does this feel weird to me? And really get to the bottom of it. And mm. like, why doesn't this feel clean and perfect and solid? And, you know, why does this not feel that way? And then just attack it head on and see if there's any way. And, th- and that's where just like time and effort and nor- like natural intuition. He just has a natural intuition for that. But just like resourcefulness uh, to really drill down and, and nail that problem. So I don't know. I don't know if that's uh, if that's a good answer, but that that's really maybe the biggest key for me in thinking about programming, but also about life now. I just apply it to everything. It's been it's an it's a concept that's changed my life, and I I hope I'm verbalizing it uh, sufficiently. But yeah, I think you are. I think you're giving yourself too little credit, mm. right? Because I feel like every time I've had a conversation with you, you've always been this like introspective on the way things make you feel, or uh, just yeah. the. Uh, like when you were talking about uh, things with camping and um, like doing things with your wife, you've always mentioned these um, these higher level concepts hmm. where you've uh, kind of like gone in on how something made you feel in that situation or just like a philosophical <laughs> epiphany of some sort. And I'm like, yeah. how are you how are you considering this in part of your daily workflow? Like if uh, I thought about things this much, I feel like I'd be way better off in general. OK, yeah, I'm definitely a, a thinker. Um I've been called an overthinker. <laughs> I I don't know if there's a line and I don't really care to find it. I just, yeah, I, I guess I think about, and I think that that's probably just a natural uh, personality temperament thing that um, I, I tend to think about a lot of things a lot <laughs> and, and not just in like a robotic way, but also I'm, I do a lot of thinking about my own emotions, uh, yes. a lot of that. And I'm not a master of them by any stretch of the imagination at all. But I think about my emotions and interpersonal connections and other people's emotions like all the time. It's probably my favorite thing to think about. Yeah. Yeah. I've, I've always enjoyed those conversations with you where you get really in depth in it. It's fun watching your brain work and how mm-hmm. you can process through the information like that. Mm. 
Um, so seeing that put into code is always very interesting for me. Um, from my perspective, I'm very passionate about a few things in code, and I don't go looking into a whole whole lot. I guess I do more when I'm doing code reviews because then that's what I'm supposed to be doing. But when it's my mm. own code, I'm looking at it, and I get passionate about the way things are named, mm. yeah, um, totally. the overall structure, and then if the tests make sense. Mm. So the, the testing should be no surprise to me because I, right. I get very in-depth in that, and then I get very complainy and a little ragey. Mm. But um, ultimately, it's all for the greater good. It's just I want to ensure that business value is being met. Hmm. I want to ensure that the next developer after me has a good time. Yeah. Usually, that's just me in a month or two, and I've forgotten what's happening. Yep. Um, so I try to look at it from multiple perspectives in those areas, but I find that branching out, um, I don't seem to do that as naturally as like you or Adam, who's going to be on next week. I, I don't think that I, I do that as well as you two. Hmm. What do you mean by branching out? So if like, let's take, for example, um, one episode that stands out to me from your podcast is the one where you got real in depth in the microservices. Okay. And like how you, how you approach testing, just like the, the pros and cons you felt about, uh, microservices. Mm. I feel like I just acquire my emotions over time Mm -hmm. and the way I feel towards things. Mm. And I don't recognize it as they're happening. Mm. Whereas I feel like you properly take the time to analyze it as it's happening. Hmm. So I feel you process information in real time where I process it after the fact. Like I notice that it's there eventually. Ah, interesting. So you, you're like a, a Kafka stream pretty much just processing through and you're just, you're going <laughs> nice on everything. enterprise reference for the microservices. Yeah, that I, I'm definitely a, um, a verbal thinker, verbal processor, you know, like verbal processors, they have to say like the thing three times before they say what they mean, you know? Mm -hmm. Um, So I get a lot of energy from talking to people about things and it also helps me think. So I I always find myself with this false idea that, that if I know I need to think about something, I think, oh, I just need, if only I had, if only I was on the mountaintop, if only I had my hour, you know, of meditation each morning, if only I had... But, but really like that's, that doesn't happen when I do have that time. Like I, I used to hunt a lot and you sitting in the woods for hours and hours, I would just like get songs stuck in my head. I wouldn't do this epiphany thinking I'd be bored out of my mind. I'm just like, I can't get Eminem out of my head. I wish I could. And I'm just like rapping Eminem in the middle of the woods, wishing I wasn't there. Um, so I think for me, <laughs> the whole like mountaintop thing is not going to happen. It's conversations with people. It's writing uh, so with that microservices thing in that time, I must have written like four or five like sonnets about the whole thing to just to the team on Slack. So I would get frustrated by something and then I would write out this whole like manifesto of what's wrong. And and because I'm writing it out, then I can start to categorize things and, and boil stuff down and, you know, come up with solutions, I guess. One thing that has always struck me as... Um... It's like a key thing in developing your skills as a developer and um, just being like a very open individual is that you are not afraid to do that in public mm. um, on podcasts where if you don't understand something, you are very upfront about it. You you sit there and you can hear you process it in, in the call. Like uh, yeah. Daniel will present that thing to you. Like you said earlier, he'll present a topic to you and you'll reiterate it and you'll sit there and think about it and say, okay, you're going too fast. I don't understand it. Back up. Yeah. So yeah, you are that, not afraid to put yourself out there as like, I need you to go back because I need to process this again. Right. That that's a super good point. That and that's not um that's not natural to me. That's something that I think I learned maybe there's a couple points here, 
but I used to do um, design stuff. And so when I first started doing graphic design, I was working for somebody who was a really good designer. Like the CEO of the, co- CEO of the company happened to be like an awesome designer. And I made some design and I remember shooting it off to him. And that, that was the first time I dealt with real critique. I didn't go to college, so I didn't do like actual critiques or anything. And I remember him, he just, you know what, that he's another detail guy that I actually learned a lot from similar to Adam in that, like, I remember at first being bewildered by the amount of detail that he would care about and being, oh, pshaw, like, like you're stressing over a pixel, you know, but then I came to realize that like that, that's the secret is stressing over each pixel. But mm-hmm. I'm, I'm like point, I'm throwing points all over the place. Um, but so, so the story with the CEO, he's critiquing this thing. It took us three days to get it out. You know, the last 10% is 90% of the work or time or whatever. We're, we're like stressing over every little detail. And um, so because of that, uh, I remember being like emotional about it. I remember like it was a hard experience for me. I had a lot of hard feelings towards him because I felt mm-hmm. like he was doing it against my will. Like I didn't opt into this critique thing. And um, I don't know. So I emerged from that. And but it it was such a better product. Like in that specific instance, that one time, I remember learning that lesson. Um, I've learned it a bunch of times, and I still have to learn it. But that first time, I remember looking back and going, "Oh my gosh, this product is so much better off." Like, man, that was a long road, and it was hard, and I was emotional during it, and there was a lot of things that you know. But at the end of the day, it I'm better off for it. And so I don't know. It was that. So I, I try to keep that in mind, and that that might have been another turning point where I sort of, if you follow it logically, it makes no sense to to hold on to something, you know, like it makes no sense. You what really it, like if you're going to get emotional about it, you should be excited that you have the better thing now, you know. And yep. I, I don't mean this to say that everybody should go around critiquing everybody's stuff, but for me personally, <laughs> like these uh, emotions matter and people's feelings for sure. And this is inhuman to feel this way. Um, but I've tried to embrace this where like if you kind of flip it and get excited about if you join join the the um, the search for the better idea, then you can reward the better idea and that can feel just as good maybe. I'm not mm-hmm. verbalizing it perfectly, but um, but so I think that's something that I've consciously done, and I've just learned over time that um, that I don't know that that's a better way to be, I guess. And and on the podcast, uh, the other thing you mentioned, where if I don't get something, I say like, okay, stop, like let's go back. Um, that's something that I've learned that if if you skip one like one beat, like if you miss it when you're talking code if you miss it a little bit and everybody does this and sometimes you're just tired, your brain is tired and you know, it'll take so long to fully wrap your head around what the other person is trying to say that you just start yesing them and going, yeah, yeah, yeah. But then you get found out. Like there's a point you might make it through that conversation, but one, you'll probably get found out where they'll realize you just agreed to something and they'll go, Oh, so you get it or whatever. And you'd be like, well, I, I guess. And then, and then it'll be evident that you don't get it or you become disinterested or whatever. So for me, Another another point in this mix of points, um, I, I think about this like uh, the, I just like watched a TED talk at some point on education, the education mm-hmm. system, how like how how we do it is 60 percent or more passes, right? 65 percent or more passes. So you can with the 70s, you can pass all along through high school. But with something like math that builds, you might have missed a concept in there. And so everything builds on those concepts. And then it's like building a house where 
you know, the foundation guys had to give it, get it 70% right. And then the first floor guys had to get it 70% right. And then by the time the people who are doing the third floor, the whole thing's falling apart. Right. So for me in those conversations, that's my own rule is like, I have to be following this perfectly and I have to yell stop if I don't, because otherwise I'm not going to be able to engage well. Like otherwise I'm just going to be yesing or not really engaging with the conversation. So that's something that it takes it's uh it takes a little bit of uh sacrificing your ego you know there's a lot of that in all this is like just getting over your ego um and and being able to admit one you don't know something two you're not following something you know so anyway yep i think that's a a super important part about growing as a developer um really growing as a human in general but um in development you do find the the egos that are there where people Mm -hmm. pride themselves on being smart so uh, being vulnerable seems challenging for a lot of people to overcome. Yeah, um, I know I did that for like the first couple of years on IRC where um, I was trying to be the person who could answer things. And I, I prided myself on that. Um, I was never interested in pretending I was smarter about something that I wasn't because mm-hmm. uh, in college, that's how I learned. Um, very similar to what you're saying. If I missed something, um, so embarrassing, but I took linear algebra. Yeah. And the, the first time I took that, I missed like a week. Um, oh, I think I was, I was sick and then I wanted to go ride my bike. So I missed another class and I missed some core concepts about like multiplying them or something like that. And it took me forever to catch up. Yeah, and, totally. But actually, I think this was discrete math. It's irrelevant. But the point <laughs> is I had to take it again because like oh. I missed all the all the the theory behind it. And they, they taught us how to use a calculator. But like the the calculator did no good on a test if I can't use a calculator. Mm. So uh, ultimately, I had to retake it. Um, since then, I like to absorb information. So where you um, you are stopping people because um, you know that you can't go back, or um, mm-hmm. I'm sorry, you know that you need to understand it. Um, for me, mm-hmm. I process information kind of out of order as I receive it. Mm. So like I'm following it along, but I'm replaying it in my head already in a different order. And I'm always afraid that what I'm going to be questioning gets answered right after this. Mm. So like I tend to like sit there for a little bit and I'll write down notes and whatnot and I nod my head and gotcha. I nod my head to represent just that I'm listening. Yep. Um, and then they get at the end, they're like, so you know what I'm talking about, right? Nope. Nope. <laughs> Not a damn clue. So <laughs> we got to go back and they're like, well, why are you nodding your head? Cause I'm, I'm listening to you very intently. I just don't understand a word that you've said. <laughs> So then but, I will go back and work on it. Right. Um, and, and you're saying that like, because there's a chance that the piece might fall into place, like a little bit later in the conversation, you're patiently waiting to see if there's more information and then it will click. Is that, is yeah. that what you're referring yeah, to as I've, well? Yeah. I've done it enough times in my past where I think I've like made myself afraid to do it again mm-hmm. to where like I will question something heavily and then somebody flips to the next slide and it's just, it's there and I've derailed them. Mm. So I like to let people get their thoughts out. Um, and that's not always the right approach. Like if it's a presentation, yes. But if they're walking me through a concept, it would be better if I sometimes interject it, I think. Yeah. Um, if it's really bad and I have no idea, I do tend to stop them just to make sure I get a concept. But I let things run on a long time just to get all the information. Yeah. Um, that. So it's a different approach. and I, I like yours a lot. Yeah. That's... Uh... That is different. Um, I'm teaching some people Laravel, um, mm-hmm. some, yeah, some friends of mine, they, they're sort of pivoting careers a little bit and one, one guy already did. And so I've been teaching this level of like 
brand new level of Laravel and PHP for, I don't know, a couple of years now on and off. And the, the biggest thing, the biggest problem for, for like me teaching is when, when I sense that they don't get it, but they, mm-hmm. but they're doing that, you know, but they're like letting it go. Um, where like that, that, that's the biggest thing that, that I've identified that like, oh man, you know, I mean, I totally do it too, but like I, so I try to communicate, like, I need you to say no to not understanding. Yes. Like I need you to not move an inch past not understanding something, you know? And because otherwise like this just breaks down and it's, it's not as useful. Um, yeah. 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 I've done, um, I've done that with talks in the past mm. where if, if I'm teaching a topic, I do like to be very proactive about making sure that people get it. Mm-hmm. Um, so I gave a talk on Elm once at a, a conference in Texas and I was terrified that I was losing people halfway through. Oh. Um, so I stopped uh, multiple times just to make sure. And I was pretty surprised they're all nodding their head. Like, yeah, they got it. Okay. So, um, at that point I felt like, okay, maybe I'm structuring the information well. Nice. And then we got to like the hard part in the talk. And then at that point there were eyes glossing over <laughs> and no one was raising their hand yet. So I, I don't know how to get people to push past yeah. that wall. Cause I don't know how to push myself past it. Mm. So this is something I could reflect on in the style that you right. do and try to get myself to, to get it out there. But yeah, it's a hard, it's a hard thing to cross. When you gave that Elm talk, I don't know if it was the same Elm talk, but at the meetup you came and gave the Elm talk. Remember? Yeah, yeah, it was pretty close was, to that one. Yeah, and which it was so awesome that it was in a meetup setting because we could stop you, and we did yeah. like a ton. Like it just, it just became a very interactive. Like, uh, hold up, how did where did that come from? You know, that and the thing is, mm-hmm. it's flipped. Like that, this is the funny thing because on the receiving end, I'm very aware, and I think everybody is. You're very aware of the pace of the teacher, mm-hmm. and of. Uh, you're very aware of what you're not aware of. <laughs> that's that's yeah. the funny part. When you're teaching, you're not aware. And that was when you're giving a presentation or when I'm anything, when you're when you're tweeting, when you're doing any sort of communication on the other end of knowledge, you, I, I, whenever I, I put in the mental work to put myself back in the position that I felt like when I was learning these concepts, it's hard. And you're and you look at it and you're frustrated because you don't you don't have a full knowledge like you do now. And it's very hard to put your, I don't know, maybe I'm just acknowledging it as a constant struggle that I try to always remind myself of, but I'm actually terrible at it. Like I'm really bad at, at communicating on that end because, um, I don't know, it's hard to put yourself back in those shoes because you can't unsee, you know, you can't yes. unsee what you now understand. If you could, you would know exactly the pace to go, you know, so you just have right. to use that feedback from learners to, to put yourself back in that zone. Yeah, they say that about monads. If you if you understand how monad works, you're incapable of describing a monad. <laughs> I remember you telling me that. That's hilarious because I still don't. Under, I think I don't understand a monad. I don't know. Yeah, the funny. thing is, you probably do, but if anybody tries to describe it to you, it sounds infinitely harder right. than it is. Yeah, right. And that's <laughs> that's really funny. I find that with a lot of the functional stuff. Um, yes. That that like. You know, when you read a formal definition and it's very formal for any any experience level that you mm-hmm. think you right, you think it's harder than it is. And then it, you need somebody to, hey, so this is this is actually just a function that returns a whatever. I don't even know. But mm-hmm. but, you know, that's uh, th- those are the aha moments that um, those I think like like those aha moments to me are some of the most valuable things in programming. If everybody could just remember every single aha moment they've ever had in programming and mm-hmm. publicize it and we could just learn from that, then, you know, I don't know, that would be good. Yep. 
that would be a great way to to get things going. I think by by the time people get their thoughts right down, then they start thinking, um, okay, I want to sound smart when I say this. So then they doctor it up a little bit. Right. um, And they think they're adding value. But for somebody who is at their skill level, it then increases the 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 discrepancy there. Yeah, there's something to that. I totally do that too. When you, I try to to. I forget what I was doing recently where I tried to force myself to not use technical language for something. But um, but yeah, like you you grow into into the fancy words. You know, yep. like you you grow into them and when, when you can use them when they're in your tool belt and you really, you know, you know how to use them well, um, they feel good to use and they're sometimes they're more effective, you know, they're like an abstraction yeah. or they're, they're more specific. So they feel like the better word to use. But, but I mean like, right. like testing, testing is perfect example. You have a hundred words that are intimidating as heck for, uh, for most people, you know, coming into it. I remember what's the difference between mock, stub uh whatever uh snap not snapshot fixture double double spy all all those things like and then i'd read the definitions and i it was one yeah you you come away like what you know yeah Mm -hmm. what's the difference between integration and functional and acceptance and regression it's like you have a hundred words that mean subtly different things and there's sometimes there's no official definition for some of them and you know really at the end of the day like uh you know but better to start off um with simple language, you know, like you could right. learn all those concepts very simply if you didn't think there were 50 different unique concepts you had to learn to a T, you know, yep. you could become an effective tester without any of that uh, intimidating language. Yeah, there's a whole lot of that with um, anything involving a type system, really. Um, there's a lot of that involvement where if you say like, this is a function from A to B and it's parameterized by little a and things like that. And it gets harder to Mm. describe what these things mean to somebody. Yeah. I'm especially with the symbols. Honestly, I don't know what it is in programming, but if you add symbols to stuff, it makes it so much harder to describe to somebody what's going on. Mm. Um, And as a learner, you you're thrown off because it's not an English word that you're used to seeing. And this is of course, assuming you speak English, but it's not a sigil that you have in your standard day-to-day interactions with someone. So it's weird to see. Or now you've overloaded dollar sign to be a sigil to represent um, <laughs> like a dereference into this. So it's a it's a weird situation. I understood uh, 20% of that that last joke there. I still thought it was funny though. <laughs> it's it's, our, it's not be, even accurate because be it's honest. not a dereference. But it's the, uh, yeah. Uh, so anyway, I totally understand that concept in general. And um, right. I struggle the same things with teaching. I struggle it with learning. Yeah. Um, it's, it's all very interesting. Yeah. The, another thought I had when you were mentioning some of that, the, um, like symbol stuff, like arrow functions, uh, one example, you know, like it now we use them and, and we're like, Oh, this is, this is awesome. I love it. I can do these inline. It's short, it's expressive. I love it. Um, th- that's one that I haven't experienced as a newcomer. I mean, I guess I was new to arrow functions, but I don't have a memory of me looking at them and being bewildered and frustrated, but I'm sure mm-hmm. lots of people coming in to JavaScript or coming, you know, like they're, they're reading through things and they're seeing all these different syntaxes for a function, like for a function definition or fun, like what's the difference between an arrow function and a function. And um, before you even care about scope, like just, just the syntax difference um, is enough to confuse someone, but it's something that I feed off. Like it helps me, like I like it, but, but it's harmful for you. And I think that's, that is one of those things that I try to keep myself um, in check. I was thinking about that uh, the other day, like the way I write Laravel 
now um, because like Laravel is something that um, mastery is a weird word. I don't mean to say that I uh, have any natural anything, but just as far as tech goes, like it's the one part of tech that I feel the most comfortable with out of all of tech is Laravel. Um, mm-hmm. And using, so because of that, like I can be artistic with it. You know, I can be creative with it. I, I pull, I do things at a higher level that are more fun for me. Like I might do some weird collection pipeline thing or do, do some sort of little gymnastics that's fun for me or makes me happier, you know, but it's just more, but those are the things that intimidate the new, wait, why you're using a helper function here, but a facade here, but it depends the injection there. Like, you know, you're, to me, it's no difference. I get it. You get the container. You can resolve. I, I could app helper make. I could app facade make instead of using the direct facade. You know, all that stuff. Mm-hmm. Like, it's just... Um, or real-time facades. Like, just newing up a freaking object in Laravel, you can do seven different ways. And to yep. me, I kind of use them as I need them. Different things, whatever I'm feeling looks good or whatever. Um, to a newcomer, those sorts of things are, uh, you know, confusing and harmful for their uh, path, you know, in learning. But So, I don't know what I'm saying there, but... So this is tangential, but I want your opinion on this. Yeah. When you are teaching somebody about dependency injection Mm -hmm. or you were learning it, is that not like one of the most terrifying things (laughs) you can say to someone for such a simple concept? Yeah, that's, that's one that, that is one that I, I do have distinct uh, memories of bewilderment and frustration at this. I, I remember going to the Laravel docs. Uh, it's one of those things where I'd be, you know, Laravel learning, working in Laravel, and then I'd get one of those like uh, ambitious afternoons where I'm like, oh, I'm just going to go to the docs. I'm going to learn everything. Like, I'm just going to click through each link and just to get a little bit of everything there is to know about Laravel. And I would get to the container part and every time it would stump me. <laughs> every time I would read through it and I'd go, what? Like, I kind of get this. And then like, yeah. So, yeah, definitely learning. I remember having a super hard time with that one. And yeah, explaining it, it learning and uh, teaching go this both ways. So, yeah, I, I remember when I heard the term dependency injection, it was like sometime in college after we already learned how to structure objects and things like that. Mm-hmm. So when it was this concept, I kept looking into it because I assumed that I was understanding something completely wrong. Mm. Like what this it's a scary term. Everybody's making a big deal out of it. Why is it a big deal? And for me, it was just. I was told to pass an object into another object if it was like a domain concept. Mm -hmm. So I made this big thing out of it for like a month trying to properly understand it. And then I got into seeing all these uh, containers. They were like for Java or um, what was the old ones in PHP? It was like called Pimple. I think it was from um, what's the name of it? Symphony. Mm -hmm. Uh, So Symphony made that and like all this other stuff. And it was such an easy concept. And then I think it was like two years ago. Um, there was a podcast that Aaron Patterson from the Ruby community yeah. was on and somebody asked him about dependency injection and he's like, what's that? <laughs> and they explained it to him. He's, and he just kind of paused, says, Oh, I thought that was called programming. <laughs> it <was> just, <laughs> That's phenomenal. That's awesome. It was like, he didn't mean it in any sort of condescending way. Right. It was just like to him. Okay. That's a basic concept. And yeah. you know, when I hear that, I'm like, I should just tell that to people. Like, never mention the name. Yeah, when you like, name something, you elevate the concept. You know, like it's mm-hmm. it be it becomes a thing, where if you don't yeah. name it, it's just another thing you can do to solve a problem. Programming, you know, instead of yep. this like technique with uh, yeah, that's very interesting. That a lot of that power just lies in simply naming the thing and yep. knowing the name. You know, let's well, how most of the things with um 
like kind of advanced type concepts or um, containering things like um, like if you have functors or monads or mm. applicative function, like all that stuff, it's it's not hard, but they use the mathematical terms mm. because they, they represent the concept. So we stick with that, but really like you could call a, a functor a mappable or something like that. And it's still the same concept, but it's a term that already exists and people are reluctant to give that up. Yeah. So um, the the way I found it's easier to teach those is you just give a bunch of examples and you kind of like walk through and like, oh, see how this makes this code look if we do it like this. Mm-hmm. Cool story. This is called a functor if you ever need to look it up on the internet. And they just keep going, like just gloss over the term. Yeah. You know, just make sure they know the name and just move on. Yeah. Um, it doesn't always work. But in this era where we have the ability to Google everything, it makes it a lot easier if you give them a term somewhere in the presentation. Right. Yeah, that's that's a tough balance. Um, now that we're talking more about dependency injection, I'm realizing that I, I even conflated the automatic dependency, automated dependency injection and normal dependency yep. injection, which is the same thing. Uh, well, automatic dependency injection, that's the hard one. Like th- that's mm-hmm. the one that's like, that's magic. You know, there's a container and it automatically resolves stuff and there's something that hijacks stuff and knows what to pass it in the constructor but just dependency injection purely that's the thing right like well isn't that just passing something that you need into a constructor of a class like well yeah right you know yeah but but it's dependency injection you know so that right the perfect it for example me. yeah perfect example of something that you would do without knowing the name you would do that it might Absolutely. help to know like you know to prefer this over that or whatever but yeah yep even then, I was still like, well, why wouldn't I do this myself? Mm-hmm. You know, like right. I, I couldn't grok it for a while. But Yeah, right. Yeah. Why do I why do I need you to do this for me? Yeah. Why? Yeah. Um, so let's see. The, I have one more topic I want to cover quick. I know I got to let you get back to work here. No, you're good. Um, what what would you recommend to a junior coming into this? Um, someone who's got a little bit of programming experience so far, but they're trying to level up to the next next step. What skills do you think you've acquired in um, introspecting and reflecting on things that you'd like to pass on to someone? Yeah, um, it's probably different for different skill levels. In the really early skill levels, it's it's build stuff. You know, like I uh, I floundered with Team Treehouse and Code School and Code Academy at different times to learn different things. And I remember doing the Rails thing on Team Treehouse and coming away from it. I I remember working with an OR with the Rails ORM. Uh, and being able to pass all the tests and I got pretty far. And then at the end of the day, I couldn't build a damn thing, you know, like I, <laughs> with rails. I had like, it's so isolated and contrived and whatever. And I don't mean to dump on team Treehouse. I'm sure a lot of people learn well that way, but, but when I'm talking to people who are new at it, this is what worked for me at least, which is just build stuff and get frustrated at not being able to do something and just push past it and, and get, if you can get an exo at this stage, the beginning stage, like get an expert, a friend, a meetup, something, someone that you, because the the problem, the big problem phase, the one of the things that contributes to that super steep learning curve, is not knowing what to Google. You know, like mm-hmm. you have Google, but Google's useless if you don't know what to Google, and so that's when you need a human. And I know that I I love to talk with newcomers about that type of stuff. I love to answer questions and get people past those blocks. And I think everyone does. So, so if like for the newcomer stage, I would say take uh, books and courses with a grain of salt at least, or mix them healthily with building real stuff. 
and then when you get stuck um, and you don't know what to Google, talk to a human, find an, a you know more advanced human than you, and and ask them questions. And that that's definitely the way to because you're just in the dark, and that's how you get out of the dark. You know, for me. Um, and then maybe like middle phase advice, like past that, like you have some, you know what to Google now and you can use the docs. Um, the, maybe this is the one of the biggest level up things. Um, okay, so uh, some, some of the stuff that I mentioned earlier, like say no to not knowing things. Say no to not feeling good about them. You know what? I'm going to hold off on those piece of advice for phase three advancement. Phase two advancement, maybe I'll say, I can't, this is too hard for me to do on the spot, but I'm just, okay. I'm just going to throw them out. Source dive, read source code. Even if, even if you'd feel like you're not capable of it, um, that's when things really changed for me in Laravel was when I started breaking open the source code and it can be very simple things like this doesn't have to, you don't have to understand the way things work per se, but let's say you're using, um, the collection class, like Laravel's collect helper or whatever. There's a class called it's illuminate slash support slash collection dot php or collections whatever collection dot php and that it's one giant class and every method for the collections is in that class and so you can command r or whatever in your editor to scroll scroll through the symbols and just read what's available like you don't even have to look at the code just reading what's available in the source i found uh that's where i found like that's where all my hot tip tweets come from that's where all that next level stuff is me diving in the source code so and and like with Vue, Vue is funny because I use Vue almost as much as I use Laravel, but I'm way not comfortable source diving Vue. You know, like it's I'm way totally not there like I am with Laravel. Um, it like yeah. So but I I do it. I still try to force myself to do it, and I do come away with things. It's just harder for me to do, um, but that puts me in the in the learner's perspective for that. So source dive. Um, say no to not knowing things, say no to not feeling good about things, identify that feeling like what, what is it that you feel a little mad about and just attack it. Uh, don't get intimidated by language. Um, you know, don't, uh, I, I definitely get that. And I don't mean to say that I am not intimidated by language. I still am intimidated by not knowing stuff. Like I still get that. I still feel that way. Um, we could talk about that forever. Um, yeah, so maybe those are the big points. I, I have one other thing, um, that, that that's it for like technical growth. I think, um, this is on an emotional front, but I think it's a good piece of advice that I wish that I had access to. Um, this is probably what we should have talked about when I was sort of introing myself and where I work at Titan and whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, just don't, don't make idols of people on Twitter and don't yes. make idols of companies. Uh, don't make idols of anyone. For real, like this is the single biggest mistake I have made in my programming career by far is idolizing people. And then and the, like the product of idolization is almost always bad. <laughs> like mm-hmm. it's pain for everyone, including the idolizee, you know, so like it's tempting to idolize uh, big all star developers that speak at conferences and, and it's cool and it's fun. And there, there is a level of fun to that. Like, oh, you know, the top level guys. And, oh, you know, I got to see them in, in, at Lyricon or whatever. Stuff like that. There's a level of fun, but there's also a level of harm when you ev- elevate someone to to that level. And so mm-hmm. I would advise, like, if any company, you know, if Titan seems like this city on a hill that cannot be hidden thing where it's like, 
this glorified, you know, only the elite of the elite make it in or anything. Because that's where it was for me when I applied to Titan. It was like uh, winning American Idol. That was, it was that type of, <laughs> for me, it felt like that, really. Well, the first time I didn't get hired. So it was like losing American Idol. <laughs> <laughs> but then you're the underdog story. And then you yeah, make, right. Yeah. Make all the headlines. Yeah. So, uh, but for me, the hardest thing about my whole time at Titan was that I idolized Matt because he was famous and I idolized Titan because Titan was famous. Those are two big mistakes I don't want anybody else to make. Titan is just another company. It's just another company. Matt is just another... Sorry, Matt. <laughs> but Matt's just another <laughs> developer. He's a great... You know, whatever. I won't, I'll leave Matt out of this. But, um, you know, Jeff Way or whatever. Like, they're just people just like you. Oh, and this is another thing that I really wanted to say. Everybody is doing the same thing just at a different level. If somebody to you seems like a god... They are floundering, just like you. They are unknowing, just like you. They are uh, covering up for things, or struggling with the want, with the desire to cover up for insecurities or not knowing things, just like you. It's just at a higher level. Everything everybody's doing is the same thing at a higher level. And I can't say that that because I'm at the top level, but I can say that every level I've come to thus far, that has been absolutely true for. So Mm -hmm. know that, that at least at least as far as I am, however far that is, it'll work that we're all just doing the same thing at a different level. Nobody, nobody has more than you, you know, I don't know. That is all too right. Yeah. Um, it's also important when you switch from one ecosystem to another one, you're starting all over Mm. again and it doesn't make you a bad developer in any way. You're just new to whatever you're working on. So if you switch from PHP to Elixir or something like that, it's going to be expected that you don't know everything and you do not have to pretend. Right. Yeah, well, I I know. Okay, well, one last other tip. This this is an Adam thing for sure. Um, going to other ecosystems and bringing back knowledge. Um, mm-hmm. If you're in the Laravel, like I'm I'm a Laravel per. Like I came up. The only other ecosystems I've seen were CodeIgniter, really, and like other like front end stuff. But I was never in Rails. I was never in you know anything else. Um, so because of that, I have a very siloed history. So when I saw Adam like pulling things from Rails into Laravel, and Taylor's done this, I've, tons of people have done this, but he's the one where I identified it. Um, like the tap helper, you know, like that that's mm-hmm. a Ruby thing or whatever, or I don't know, Ruby or Rails thing. I don't know the distinction on that helper, but whatever. Um, he pulled that in and I remember going, oh man, like this is why he appears to be a genius to me. Like if all I have to do now, I, I can do the same thing. I just go over to another community, find their Jeffrey Ways and Taylor Otwells and Adam Wathens and Matt Stauffers, read their blogs, and I'll find just as much awesome information that I can then, I could pull it, you can pull it back and use it for your own gain and become a god, and that's fine. I'm not telling you what to do with that knowledge. But like for me, it was ThoughtBot, like going to ThoughtBot's blog and going back like years earlier and finding Mm -hmm. all these things that they were coming to, like three-way Boolean problems in, in your ORM and MySQL, like that's a totally Laravel thing. And that's a high level Mm -hmm. thing. Like there's lots of little nuggets in tons of different universes. So maybe this is advice for the higher level is like, just find another ecosystem, find the people at the top, find their agency's blogs or their, their blogs and, you know, read them and you will get, because programming is programming is programming. Yep. Yep. I'll add to that call to action and say, if you learn these things, please commit them to whatever your framework or language of choice is um, when appropriate. So, for instance, like uh, the Rails migration system, for instance, is actually really advanced and it's gone through numerous struggles over the years. And there were a lot of things that could have helped 
um, Laravel in the earlier days uh, from hitting the same roadblocks or similar ones, but no one had the the drive to put the time investment in there to make it easier. Yeah. So it's, instead, it's like, well, I guess we'll sit around and wait for Taylor to invent the invent the solution or run into the same problems and then invent it for us uh, afterwards. Right. So I highly encourage you if you find a good solution in like let's say you work in Laravel and then you go to Django and find that they have solved something uh, half a decade ago and it works perfectly, please import that. Yeah. Like take it, throw it in there, give the original authors credit and, you know, improve everything. Yeah. Good call. Plus that's a great way to learn. All right. So if people want to keep in touch with what you're working on, uh, where can they go? Yeah. Twitter's the best place. Um, the blog's kind of shoddy. You know, I, everybody has an aspirational blog that they barely post on. <laughs> but And so put me in that camp of people who post on their blogs like three times a year. But um, but yeah, Twitter, I'm on Twitter. I hot tip tweet stuff and I engage with the Laravel community there mostly. Um, so hit me up on Twitter. Follow me on Twitter. Uh, I don't know if there's really anything else. Uh, I'm doing the Laravel sticker contest right now. If this comes out in the next week or so, um, mm-hmm. you know, definitely post your uh, laptop sticker on Laravel sticker contest.com. And uh, yeah, that's where you can find me. Love it. And then uh, your, your talk from Laracon is available right now, right? It is. Yeah. Yeah. Great. Um, I will link them in the show notes and we will uh, make those available as soon as I figure out the domain for this podcast. Sweet beans. That's awesome. Nice. Excellent. Well, thank you for coming on and chatting with me today. Uh, I know I disrupted the middle of your day, but this has been a, a great time for me, and I'm hoping a lot of people are going to learn some stuff from the uh, the expert advice you've had to give here. Yeah, I don't know about that, but uh, but I'll take it. Thank you, uh, Machuga. You're the man. Always a pleasure to chat with you. I feel like I do this for hours. So If only uh, there wasn't that thing that we had to get paid to do. I know, right? right? Yeah. All right. Thanks. Thanks for listening to the podcast.